It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Exciting day, big day. The president at noon will be talking about law enforcement reform, getting ahead of the House, getting ahead of the Senate, talk about the four principles necessary. All I could tell you is, and I'll go over some of it, uh, it has the okay from the Fraternal Order of Police. Let's see if, if uh, it'll hit other police chiefs as well as uh, people in the community. Uh, the unrest continues. The protests continue. I don't know how much longer it's going to go on. And, of course, you have what's going on in Seattle, an embarrassment uh, to the entire nation. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Many of these monuments could do better, perhaps in a in a museum or in educational facilities, but that's not going to solve the problems that we see in our streets or in our issues regarding police brutality. George P. Bush, uh, the war in history is reaching new heights, which means new lows. Now they're targeting Lincoln, Washington, Jackson, Jefferson. Yeah, Lincoln. This has got to stop. Number two. We need great people in our police departments and we have mostly great people but we uh we will do better even better and we're going to try and do it fast law enforcement reform just talking about it set to roll out from the white house mercedes schlaff coming up shortly uh admits the backlash from the constant criticism and talking of defunding roiling defunding police uh, precincts roiling precincts around the country we're going to go city by city as the nypd has landed Uh, for their success, is lauded for their success, but decides to recalibrate how they fight crime overnight. You're not going to believe it. Number one. This argument that has been out there that somehow a person's right to protest somehow outweighs, uh, for instance, a person's right to reopen their business. Let's just have one objective standard, right? COVID-19, still causing unrest in the market and in politics. From the president's Tulsa rally to the increase in cases to the strangely slow pace some states are reopening. Never has a pandemic caused so much unrest for so many, let alone cost over 100,000 lives. And as I mentioned, Mercedes Lab coming up, and I'll go over that. Um, real quick, on the coronavirus, here's my problem. Don't pretend as if you're worried about big gatherings, getting together and breaking social distancing rules when you never complained about the riot, the protests. It took place last night. It's happening in Seattle right now. So the president's got a rally in Tulsa. Now what happens? If the president's able to go out and show his popularity, if the president's able to go out and feel so at home and you see the passion and love his supporters, many of which have shown themselves in the flotillas that are for his birthday over the weekend, then those independents and those undecideds will say, you know what, maybe CNN, MSNBC isn't right. Maybe the Washington Post and the New York Times doesn't have the whole story. Maybe Fox is on to more of a balanced look at a president who's not perfect, but not nearly as flawed as he's being portrayed on a daily basis. So that's why he's got to get back to the rallies. And that's why they fear him getting back to the rallies. Dr. Mark Siegel says he knows there's risks, but he has an idea. Cut to. 
Well, actually, the numbers are misleading because we're seeing a big decrease in cases in the Northeast right now, Ainsley, but we're seeing an uptick in the South and the West. And overall, yesterday, this is really important news, was actually a good day for COVID-19 in terms of deaths, 345 in the United States total, which is the lowest number that we've seen since March. About 18,000 overall cases in the U.S., which shows that despite reopening, the curve is continuing flat overall, even downward trending a bit. Again, because the Northeast is doing so much better in terms of cases and deaths. Look, it's not at, we're not out of the woods yet, but why would we? Who said we're going to destroy a vaccine by staying away from each other and, and destroying economy for the next six months? We were told 15 days, then 30. We're at like 120 days now. 22 states have an increase. Eight states are level. 20 states are decreased. More than 114,000 Americans have died, but they are really cru- we are really crushing the curve. We've got to be smart about it. We've got to reopen the health clubs. We've got to get back to normal the best we can because having a destroyed economy doesn't help anybody. The 40 million without jobs are not really feeling too happy right now. I don't know if you've heard. So if you are upset about the protests, because of the social distancing, you can be upset about the Tulsa rally, but you cannot have it both ways. Here's Britt Hume, Cut 7. The point is pretty clear. Uh, NBC News was applying a double standard in its reaction to those two crowds, one of them, you know, yet to come. Um, you know, Trump could, could solve any criticism of his rally under the current circumstances, Shannon, simply by moving his rally outside. Then he'd be immune to criticism in the same way that all these protests have been immune to criticism from even from some you know, significant number of health experts. Look, uh, right now he's in a facility that has 19,000. Brad Parscale says he got 800,000 to a million requests. Move it outside. Don't even put seats. Put it on a hill. Have the president talk and he'll gradually get more. I look at NASCAR. They're going to have about 30,000 tickets this weekend. Seat in a 100,000 seat stadium. NFL says, you know, give me a 70,000-seat stadium or 50,000. I'll give you 15,000 seats if the game was right now. I would not doubt that some of these artists are going to go back to their arenas and maybe get, sell half, half the tickets in order to get out in front of people again and give a sense of normalcy. The other thing that's happening around the country, and I find really disturbing, as I'll talk to Mercedes Schlapp about this, although I don't know what she'll do about it, is what's happening with all these shrines and all these statues. Do you know they're defiling the face of Washington. They want to take down a Lincoln statue because an African-American uh, is, looks as though he's coming out of chains thanks to Lincoln. He's called the Emancipator. And guess who paid for that? Freed slaves. Guess who dedicated that statue? Frederick Douglass, a escaped slave who became one of the most famous people in the world, not just America, and one of the most lauded figures in American history. He was there dedicating that statue, he was there because he was honoring Lincoln, who they became very friendly with in the middle of this war. And if they were able to combine forces, we might not have needed the 1960s, the 1860s, and reconstructions would have been much more profitable. But we're seeing it over and over again. At the same time we're dealing with the pandemic, we are dealing with civil unrest after the Minneapolis incident. And now we're also dealing with the destruction of our past, while all these pro teams and pro leagues are going to be in our face because they are already basically decided they will take a knee during the national anthem. So here it is. 100 years, the statue of Abraham Lincoln stood at Park Square in tribute to the present. 
It's all, it says the great emancipator, which he was. He towers over a half-clothed black slave who's down on one knee. The black man growing up in Dorchester, Tony Bullock, would recoil every time he saw it. He was upset by it. Bullock had a petition at 7,000 signatures, caught the attention of the Boston liberal mayor, Marty Walsh, and Bullock posted his willing to talk about removing it. Boston's mayor in favor of taking it down. Among the people who don't have a, uh, uh, don't have a problem with it is Frederick Douglass, who said this. I don't know if you know this. He's an escape slave that got to the Northeast, uh, was able to uh, pay for his freedom, his friends did, write a best-selling biography, and become one of the leading figures in the world. He said, After coming generations may read something of the exalted character and great works of Abraham Lincoln, the first martyr president of the United States. You know what the inscription says? A race set free and the country at peace. Lincoln rests from his labors. That's what everyone's running from. That's what has to be taken down. Now, you look back at Lincoln's past. He was for colonization, taking slaves and sending them to elsewhere. You're not for that. Either am I. Wasn't very popular then. Never worked. Does that mean he's a terrible person? No. George Washington had slaves like everybody else in the area working a plantation. Does that mean he's a terrible person? How about indispensable? The name of a best-selling book on George Washington is called The Indispensable Man. Uh, Turns out he was. You want to make America better? Picture America not existing. That's what happens with that. Jefferson, Washington, Jackson, and Lincoln. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Brian Kilmeade Show, big day on Tuesday, 1-866-408-7669. Mercedes Slaps coming up next, and then we'll talk to uh, Dr. Dr. Neshwat about the truth behind the coronavirus. Is Houston doing the right thing, slowing down their reopening? This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Oklahoma's uh, at a very low number. They've done uh, really fantastic work. They have a new, a pretty new, magnificent uh, arena, as you probably have heard. uh, And we're getting exact numbers out, but we're 
either close to or over one million people wanting to go. But it's a, it's an amazing. Nobody's ever heard of numbers like this. I think we're going to have a we're going to have a great time. We're going to talk about our nation. But Oklahoma has been a place that I think uh, one of the reasons we chose it is because of how well that because it's early, it's very early, and uh, because of what a great job the governor and everybody else has done in Oklahoma. And we expect to have uh, you know it's like a record-setting crowd. And, of course, we've got a great station there, KRMG in Tulsa, as well as another great station in Oklahoma City. The president, no doubt about it, will find some loyal supporters in Oklahoma. The question is, will he have a lot of detractors? Yeah, who say during the pandemic you shouldn't have big crowds. Uh, we've already waited over 100 days. Uh, there's going to be precautions there. And I feel, though, personally, that they fear the president getting big crowds. They don't fear for the health of those crowds. Just my hunch. Joining me now is Mercedes Schlapp. Now spending the bulk of her time instead of at the White House, uh, helping out the president's reelection efforts. Mercedes, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. How are you doing? Good. Could you bring us inside the move to pick Tulsa? After all, Oklahoma is going to be firmly in your column. Nobody thinks that you're not going to take <laughs> Oklahoma. Why start there? Well, can I tell you, I'm sure the people of Oklahoma are very excited that President Trump is going to Oklahoma uh, because sometimes there are always these, these Midwestern states. They don't want to be the forgotten states in any way. And we know that the president obviously wants to take his message across the country. But we also know that Oklahoma has been one of those uh, states who have successfully reopened up their economy. And, uh, you know, we've been working with the folks over in, at the convention center and ensuring that we do, we do this rally in a safe and responsible manner making sure that we're taking the necessary steps uh, to make sure that the Americans are safe to celebrate the historic victories of President Trump's first term. Mercedes, and, you know, I know the Dolphins said if we had a game tomorrow, we'd have 16,000 instead of 60. I know that NASCAR, <laughs> instead of 100,000, going to have 30. Will you go less to capacity? Well, I think at this point, what we've seen is over one million people have applied to attend this first MAGA rally in three months. I mean, the enthusiasm for our movement is high and it continues to grow. You know, look, we're going to do this in a way that's going to be safe. Obviously, I think Americans are responsible and they know the precautions that they need to take in order to ensure that they are going to be safe as they attend the rally. And there'll, there'll be temperature checks, masks, and hand sanitizers. And, you know, at the end of the day, this is a moment that I think America, there's a pent-up demand. And I think America's really ready to reopen. And there's a way to do this in a safe manner. Uh, and uh, I think it's our moment to ensure that the president, look, he's ready to get back on the road. He wants to connect with the American people and talk about uh, what we need to do to get this economy go, 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 growing again. We saw this with the incredible jobs report uh, from uh, two weeks ago, where we saw 2.5 million jobs that were created. This, of course, created had the media was completely in shock. So were the Democrats. I think Joe Biden had to go back to his basement to rewrite his speech that day uh, because they were assuming that the job numbers were going to be bad. And, you know, I think that there's a great story to tell. And I think the American people are ready to get America uh, functioning again. And, and I tell you, like we've been visiting, for example, I'm down in South Carolina to, in these last couple of days. And you could tell that the American people want to get back to work and back 
to, you know, a, a, a new normal where we have to be safe and responsible and take the actions, but as well as ensuring that we can get our economy and the state economies uh, functioning. When will you decide if this is going to move outdoors? Uh, well, I, I don't think that this is, you know, obviously we're working with the folks at the convention. We're working with the folks that are, uh, in, you know, in, in the actual location where we're going to have this. Um, so obviously those are discussions that we're having to ensure that we're able to create a safe environment for those who are going to be attending the rally. So, well, I guess we'll see how it goes. Now, Mercedes, I asked the vice president this a half hour ago on television. He punted. You won't because you like to take things on head on. Uh, <laughs> even Rasmussen me. has you. <laughs> I know. Uh, but but he also has a way of not answering questions, which is why as a lot of good politicians do. Most polls you're trailing. George Bush was trailing, too. You work with him. But he's, you're trailing by double figures, even with Rasmussen. And I know it's not national polls only matter so much. But is that the view of the Trump team in June that you're trailing? Look, I think the way to view it, Brian, and you understand this very clearly, is that you're looking at these polls now. And if you would have seen the same polls in 2016, uh, Hillary would have been ahead. Right. Sharp. And and what happened? President Trump became president. So here what we're looking at in terms of our internal polls is that it shows that uh, we are strong when we're up against a defined Biden. So Biden's been living in the basement. And so our job for the next five months is to define Biden, to basically show and reveal and unmask his record of a 40-year career politician living in the swamp who has pushed economic policies that have been detrimental to Americans, who have supported foreign policies where he's used bad judgment uh, in cases like when he decided that uh, going after Osama bin Laden was a bad idea and where he believes that China is not a global competitor and we need to be close allied with close allies with China. He is a globalist. And I think the American people, the more they learn about Joe Biden, the more they're going to, you know, they're going to look at this and say, what's our choice? Our choice is a strong president who understands how to build a strong economy they might not like his tweets. They might not like his tone sometimes. But at the end of the day, someone who's a results-oriented president versus a Joe Biden who time and time again has shown weak leadership and has aligned himself with globalist policies that has, that has not helped to put Americans and American workers first. So I am confident that... Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. As we continue going down this track in these next five months, the more Joe Biden is defined, the more the American people will say, look, my choice is Donald Trump. And I think you're going to see that with the persuadable voters. Uh, I read the New York Post the other day. Um, somebody read it to me. I don't get it delivered. Uh, but 
they basically, Michael Goodwin had an article that the people, tensions are getting high in the Trump camp, that Brad Parscale has not done enough in the battleground states and the president finds himself trailing and he's upset. What could you tell us about that? Well, I got to tell you something. Brad Parscale is very close with the president. He is someone who has been with the family for over 11 years. He's a trusted advisor and is a visionary for the campaign. So I think that, you know, obviously people love the gossipy and the process stories. And it's just simply untrue. As we know, that we know that Brad is working closely. We've brought on Jason Miller, one of the uh, folks who was with Gotcha. So you're getting the team back together. Mercedes, I'm up against the break. So you're saying not true. Mercedes Slap, thanks so much. Always great to have you on. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. As the senator made a very moving and eloquent speech as a son of the Confederacy, acknowledging that it was time to change and yield to a position that Senator Carol Mosley Braun raised on the floor of the Senate, not granting a federal charter to a organization made up of many fine people who continue to display the Confederate flag. So people, very fine people, displayed the Confederate flag. That was Joe Biden in 1993, who still didn't make much sense. Uh, He twisted his syntax in a way it makes you effort to understand. But just keep that in mind. Next time you're upset in 2018, when you look back at what the president, 2017, I think it was, uh, president said in Charlottesville, Keep in mind, he was talking about people looking to keep a, a Confederate statue up. There weren't skinheads, but they were said there were good people on both sides. And then some lunatic ran over some per, uh, somebody else who was an innocent person. And the president said he looks like he was praising them. Before you go and talk about our history and past and what are you praising and what are you not praising, keep in mind, President Trump was 100% right. He said, if you go ahead and start taking down these statues, who's next? Washington, Lincoln, Jefferson? And now it's happened. And I wish it wasn't true in 2020. They're all under fire. I got an email yesterday. I got to follow up on this because I did. I wrote the book, Andrew Jackson, Miracle of New Orleans. And there was originally supposed to, there was a movement to take Andrew Jackson's uh, statue out of New Orleans. He saved the city, made it an American city. We never would have grown past the Mississippi River. They would have held on to New Orleans like they held on to Hong Kong. I'm talking about the British. But now they want to take it all down. There's a war on history. At the same time, we have a pandemic. At the same time, we have a, so much civil unrest. Jerry, listening in Dayton, Ohio. Hey, Jerry. Hey, Brian. Uh, I hope this isn't a too convoluted a question, but um, I feel like slavery is a three-part story where we only really get the second act of the story, which is a horrible uh, sin that happened in America with slavery. But the third part rarely gets talked about, which you brought up with Abraham Lincoln, which is the freeing of the slaves, which without white people would not have happened. But the first part of the story is where I get uh, confused and conflicting stories. 
I've heard that uh, Americans and Europeans uh, kidnapped slaves. I've heard that they were uh, sold, they were slaves already and sold by African tribes. I know you're a historian. I, I'm hoping you can shed a little light and, and educate me on that. Well, put it this way. Uh, I cannot tell you the, on the route from Africa to America. I know how wrong it was. But the way I understand it, most of this was done as a transaction. They were buying and selling people. Tribes were selling off people to Europe and America. Europe was able to shed the stain of slavery quicker, but not that much quicker uh, than the U.S. I think it was 1835. Uh, We did it, obviously, in 1865. But the fight was constant and consistent, and it was really dividing of America. It was part of the reason we had to wait nine years to get Texas involved. The Missouri Compromise plagued us forever. The Dred Scott Scott decision um, uh, almost brought down America. And you had a situation where the Fugitive Slave Law allowed the Southerners in the South to go into the North and grab their escaped slaves. So it was an excellent chance a guy like Frederick Douglass, who had been escaped seven, eight years before he wrote his biography, but was still illegally in the North, could have been grabbed. And that just brought everything to the forefront, uh, front and center, divided our country in half. We fought, we put it together, and there to commemorate what we went through and where we've gone through, where we've been and where we're going, that was all part of our past. It just, you have additional expertise. You may choose on your vacations to go to uh, the Battle of Gettysburg. You may choose to go to Boston and, and do the, uh, the Freedom Trail. Or you may choose just to go to Yellowstone Park and see the buffalo. But it was part of a choice of America to really embrace our past. Now we are stripping it down. And I'm stunned by it. Here's Karl Rove taking exception, like I do, with taking down this Abraham Lincoln statue in Boston. Cut 36. There's somebody in Boston who's taken great offense at a statue of Abraham Lincoln. Uh, Lincoln is uh, shown standing. Uh, He has got an outreached arm. There is a black man uh, in chains that have just recently fallen off of him at his feet. And somebody said, well, that looks like submission. No, that is Abraham Lincoln saying rise to the position of equality that this horrible, this terrible civil war has now granted you. The death of 600,000 Americans has been necessary in order to give you the equality promised to you by the Declaration of Independence. I mean, we're losing our minds in some respect. Joel in Michigan. Joel. Brian, one thing I never hear anybody speak of is the fact that all our founding fathers, they grew up with slavery. Everybody judges them like they created it and they're so evil. That's all they knew growing up. Their parents had slaves. And yet I never, and I listen to a lot of talk radio and I read a lot, I never hear that discussed. It was all they knew. And yet they turned it around and eventually they ended it. And I just never hear that brought up. Good point. Love the perspective. They grew up with certain mores in their society. They knew fundamentally and talked about how wrong it was. George Washington says when Martha passed away, uh, they were free. Jefferson promised uh, Lafayette, excuse me, uh, Washington promised Lafayette he would free the slaves. After they won the war, he didn't. Uh, but they actually efforted to do that. Uh, a lot of them economically held on to, uh, held on to them. And it was a, a huge, huge uh, moral error in every way, shape, or form. But it was over two, It was over 200 years ago when they made that decision. It doesn't mean they didn't create this country and set the groundwork for everything you have. Back in a moment, we go inside the pandemic in just a moment with Dr. Neshwat. This is The Brian. 
It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think that what we have here today is we not, we're not sure what's happening. Uh, we have 22 states where we have cases increasing, 8 where it's level, and 21 states where it's decreasing. And I think that what we're really talking about here now is uh, what does reopening do? What did the protests do? And we just have to be humble and say we, we're, not, we're in an unsure moment right now what's happening in this country. Well, the protests started about two weeks ago. They usually say give it two weeks to find out the impact. And if there is no impact, that means social distancing means nothing. Because if those rates were disorganized, they were worried about their, uh, they were responding to an emotional Horrible incident in Minneapolis, and it happened in over 700 cities across the country. And social distancing was a distant afterthought. Dr. Jeanette Neshwa joins us now. Uh, that was a doctor from Fox News Sunday, all weighing in about what could be uh, an increase in cases across the country to a degree. Dr. Neshwa, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me, Brian. Where are we at with the fight? I mean, we have eight states that they say that we're flat, uh, 22 states where there's uh, an increase, and 20 states where there's a decrease in the number of cases. Are, are you comfortable where we're at right now? Yeah, I am. I think overall our country is doing a decent job in trying to control this virus, especially starting here in New York. We were the epicenter of this virus in the entire country. And we were able to, after you know putting a, in a, a lockdown and a shutdown and now slowly reopening, we went from over 1,000 deaths a day down to now 23. The key is keeping it that way. We're going to see spikes in certain parts of the country. That's expected because we're going to be reopening. Once you enter phase one, you can have increased mobility. People are going to be out and about. Um, so it's just inevitable, inevitable by nature. We're going to have some spike and some increase. It's a matter of, of controlling it and making sure that it doesn't get to the point where we're overburdening the hospitals, the ICUs. But what we really look at is, is the number of hospitalizations and the number of deaths. We're still hovering, Brian, around 20,000 new cases a day, um, and we want to make sure that that doesn't creep up to 30,000. But with reopening and with increased testing, when we have a massive diagnostic capability now that we didn't have two, two months ago. So that's another reason why we're going to have an increase in the number of positive cases. It's just um, making sure that that number of positive cases, the positive tests, stay less than 10 percent um that and then of course we have to admit that there are some people that are non-compliant with wearing a mask you know the most recent study came out that if you wear a mask you can help decrease transmission from 17 percent down to three percent you combine that with physical distancing of six to ten feet and hand washing and staying home if you're sick and taking preventative measures all of these steps together, we can help keep the keep this opportunistic virus from spreading from person to person. We, we can't forget it's a highly infectious, highly contagious virus. And we have some people that are what we call super spreaders. One person can spread it to three or four people. Then those three or four people spread it to more people. Then we see an exponential rise and, and many spikes and many um, uh, outbreaks in, in certain parts of the country. So we, we have the knowledge now. We're learning more and more about this virus day by day. We know how it spreads. We know what to do to maintain it. It's just a matter of 
adhering to those steps and those guidelines, which which I know is hard to do. And this country is, is ready to open, Brian, because, you know, I think, you know, overall the side effects of lockdown can be more detrimental to our health than, you know, people that have cardiac disease and aren't able to go for their follow-ups or, or people that have to go get their mammograms or get their immunizations and those sorts of things. Uh, I hear you. Uh, they have to get other things. Also, they got to get back to school. You don't put a second yeah. grader on a laptop. Uh, and they got to right. find a way to do it. And they got to talk to doctors like you to make it happen, not throw up their hands and say it's too risky. Uh, and I'm not going to get you involved in politics, but they say teachers yeah. unions are the big hindrance right now to getting public schools back on track, whether teachers are older or they just don't want to take the risk. I find that yeah. unacceptable. And these a lot of colleges are going to go belly up if they can't get their uh, students back in school and they'll do it responsible, yeah. responsibly. Sure. It's to yeah. their advantage to do it. Yeah, I can understand some people are fearful. They're scared. And that's why each business, each company, each school, each college has to have a plan and a protocol in place. For example, um, make sure everyone is wearing a mask. Check a temperature before they enter the classroom. Have hand sanitizer at, you know, at the entrance of the doorway. Space out the desks. You know, let some people uh, do their home studies, uh, their their classroom work from home, if if allowable. So maybe have half the students go to class in the daytime, the other half at nighttime. So we're limiting the amount of people. So we just have to be creative. There's ways to tackle this, but we can't keep this country shut down. We have to educate our students. We have to go on. We just have to have a, a safe way, way of doing that. And I can understand people being fearful, but keep in mind, in six to eight months, we're going to have a vaccine on the market. So this is temporary. This is temporary wearing your mask, temporary taking these precautions until we can achieve that herd immunity, which we can only get by immunization or infection. Right. Over the weekend, I got a lot of emails saying, can we go back to find out where we're at with the pandemic? Because it's been overwhelmed by the stories. Yeah. That's why we go kind enough to, and we're lucky enough to be talking to Dr. Neshwat about that. Yeah. I want you to hear what Governor Cuomo said. Now, the numbers have been astoundingly good in terms of deaths and cases in New York. But he heard about people actually doing this horrible thing called getting together. And this is what he said. I am warning today in a nice way consequences of your actions. We have 25,000 complaints statewide. I'm not going to turn a blind eye to them. If we have to close, then people are going to hold you accountable. I'm going to reverse it in those areas that are not in compliance with the rules. And I'm going to reverse it in those areas where those local governments did not comply with the law. Well, it's amazing how he likes to target what he'll punish people with, but he wouldn't target where to reopen, like Long Island, uh, like parts of Suffolk County. These politicians know nothing about what's going on, but they feel as though they're the absolute monarchs of these areas. And when you look at places like New York and Vermont and Maine and Pennsylvania, where cases are under control, but these, these guys just want to keep the clamps on. I find this inexcusable and unprecedented. Yeah, what, I think what we need to do is you can't shut down the whole state. Look at the geographically targeted areas where there's outbreaks. If you have one part of the state that has a massive outbreak and a spike, 
that's where you need to focus your efforts of, of, of mitigation and containment and control, not shut down the entire state. I mean, it's a difficult challenge and a balance to to try to control the spread of this virus. Maybe a lot of it is is, is run by fear and anxiety. We want to keep the number of deaths down, you know, especially when it comes to nursing homes and people that work in, in large, uh, large group areas like schools and that sort of thing. Um, but we have to look at it geographically and, you know, not treat the northern part of the state the same as we would treat the southern part of the state because it's each community that needs to be looked at and treated individually um, and what's best for the community and the citizens. Because remember, I, I truly believe that we are hurting so many other people and patients who can't go and see their doctor, who can't go and get their mammograms and their colonoscopies um, because of the lockdown and the shutdown. Just yesterday, I, I rarely do this. I diagnosed a woman with ovarian cancer. That's not my job to do- diagnose ovarian cancer, but her doctor's office has been shut down for three months. So I'm the one that had to order a CAT scan um, at an ur- urgent level uh, facility um, when that's something that should have been done as an outpatient. So she went from, instead of being treated from a stage one point of view, she's now being treated at stage two cancer when we could have, uh, you know, had probably most likely a better outcome. The earlier you treat a disease, the better outcome. So we have to look at each community individually and not to treat the whole state as one. And that's why we have those phased guidelines, the phased reopenings. Um, phase one, and then go to phase two, and go to, and then go to phase three. But um, we've done so much. We've come so far, Brian. We're now over a hundred days into this. We just need to hang on a little bit longer because if we meet the criteria for, for reopening, then every fourteen days we'll go from phase one to phase two to phase three. Right. Uh, that's what we like to see. There's outdoor dining in, I yeah. guess, the New York area, or there's some uh, regions there as things try to get back to natural. A couple of things, real quick. Can you get it? Yeah. Is it uh, what are the chances of you getting it from a surface? So it is possible, but I think the likelihood is is much lower than getting it from person to person, from someone talking to you or coughing, sneezing, shouting. Um, That is more common. Um, Now, initially, the CDC said, yes, it's very possible. But then they not long ago, studies came out that showed it's not as uh, common as we once thought. But it's still a possibility. If someone was coughing and sneezing and rubbed their nose and then, you know, you shook their hand or they touched something, you touched something that they came into contact with and then you touched your eyes or your nose it's a possibility that you picked it up but it's a lot more likely and a lot more common for you to pick it up um, when you're in close contact with someone within six feet for at least 10 to 15 minutes um, through respiratory water droplets through talking sneezing coughing that sort of thing and uh, lastly asymptomatic someone's asymptomatic they don't know they have it but they're positive for if they were tested for it what are the chances of them spreading it Yeah, so they say about a third. Um, The spread occurs about a third of the time with asymptomatic carriers, according to the latest data from the CDC. We just saw a report in a study in the Journal of Internal Medicine and reports coming out of the Harvard Health Institute that about a third um, of the people who get this this, uh, virus are from asymptomatic carriers. Um, But if you think you were exposed or you're not sure or you're just curious and you want to be tested, we now have the great diagnostic capability. You can go and see your doctor. You can go to a walking clinic. We can swab your nose. We can do antibody testing, especially if you are out in the protest. Um, it's recommended go get tested to know if you're an asymptomatic carrier because you're out there. There are people that are out there that have it, 
and had no symptoms. There are people I've drawn blood on and they tested positive for antibodies and they never had any symptoms. So it's good to know where you stand. Um, and again, if you think you were exposed, it's easy to go get um, tested, especially here in, in New York. And, it, and it's, it's free of charge as well. Dr. Nishwad, thanks so much. Appreciate yeah. it. My pleasure. My pleasure, Brian. Have a good one. Be safe. Yeah, stay healthy. Uh, this is the Brian Kelly Show. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West will be joining us this block. And then I'll have a lot of time to get some phone calls, 1-866-408-7669. Also have Barney and Company hit. You'll get a chance to see what I look like if you're not watching Fox Nation on FBN. Uh, I'll be on there. We'll do a simulcast. We share audiences. Always fun. There's some really good news that came out. Retail sales went so high, the market is shooting up right now. Think about this. Through the worst times or some of the worst times in the pandemic, April to May, 2.5 million jobs were added, and now you have retail sales go through the roof. So America is showing some resilience. Yeah, we still got 40 million out of work. I get it. It might even be you. I understand it. And that's important. But you also understand, too, this country is picking itself up again. And right now, the only thing that both Republicans and Democrats agree on is that when asked who is better to lead our, our country on the economy, it is President Trump. On other things like the pandemic and tone, Biden wins. But a long way to go. Let's go to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Many of these monuments could do better, perhaps in a in a museum or in educational facilities, but that's not going to solve the problems that we see in our streets or in our issues regarding police brutality. The war on history. That was George P. Bush in Texas, reaching new heights, which means new lows. Now they're targeting Lincoln, Washington, Jackson, Jefferson. This has got to stop. Number two. We need great people in our police departments, and we have mostly great people, but we... Uh, We will do better, even better, and we're going to try and do it fast. Uh, That is the President of the United States. Law enforcement reform is set to roll out from the White House in two hours. Today, amidst the backlash from the constant criticism and talks of defunding, it's roiling precincts around the country. And now cops are saying, I quit in Minneapolis. I quit in Atlanta. In Florida, a whole SWAT team didn't hand in their badge but turned in their bulletproof vests and said, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to get any local backing. Then I'm not going to do it at all. Number one. This argument that has been out there that somehow a person's right to protest somehow outweighs, uh, for instance, a person's right to reopen their business. Let's just have one objective standard, right? Could that be? Kimberly Strassel making a lot of sense with the Wall Street Journal. COVID-19 still causing unrest in the markets and in politics. From the president's Tulsa rally to the increase in cases at the strangely slow pace in some states, on the reopening in other states, never has a pandemic caused so much unrest to so many. And we know about the 114,000 that lost their lives. So let's bring in Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. Colonel, how are you? I'm doing very well, Brian. How are you doing today? 
Are you still sore from the bike, uh, motorcycle accident? Oh, yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, I just had my shoulder surgery last week. They had to reconstruct my uh, right shoulder socket bone to keep the ball in place, and I got two screws in there. But, uh, you know, I'm I'm doing fine. I'm, I'm on the mend. I'm, I'm still in the fight. And uh, this morning down in Corpus Christi, I had a nice little three-and-a-half, maybe four-mile run along the uh, Corpus Christi Bay. So is it motorcycles done for you? Yeah, yeah. You know, I had 35 great years of riding motorcycles, but I you, you can't put your family, friends, and and so many uh, great folks through through something like that potentially again. So, uh, you know, I just stick to my Jeep and my truck. Sounds good. Uh, before there's so many issues to talk to you about, especially a place you used to be, the 38th parallel, uh, North South Korea, and what's going on there. I want to bring you to this. We know about the Confederate statues coming down, and some historians will say, hey, you know, I was a little uncomfortable with Jefferson Davis. They did, uh, and David Petraeus wrote the story, uh, the column that said, you know, these guys did commit treason in the South, and they did want to divide the country up, and it was predominantly over slavery. I get it. But as the president predicted, here comes Thomas Jefferson's statue in front of Portland High School. It's down by protesters. Because guess what? He had slaves. Uh, in Boston... They're removing a replica emancipation memorial of Lincoln and a freed slave. They don't like the way the slave is depicted. Did they mention that the slaves paid for the original memorial? We see that in New Orleans, they're threatening Andrew Jackson again to take him down from New Orleans, a city he literally saved or probably would have been the Hong Kong for Britain. They would have just stayed for another hundred years in our hemisphere. This is just the beginning. George Washington was defiled. What's going on here? Well, what's going on is that you have mobocracy. You have a mob rule. And if you try to compromise a piece or negotiate with these types of individuals, it's just going to exacerbate itself and get worse. So this is not about, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter. This is not about really tackling an issue of racial inequality, if you want to call it that, in the United States of America. This is about a fundamental transformation of America. This is about revisionist history, and this is about destroying our past so that they can determine where we are in the present and where we will go in the future. And history, as I said on Fox & Friends this uh, past weekend, history is not there for you to like or dislike. It's there for you to learn from. And you're a historian. You've written, written, you know, several incredible books and a book about you know, Andrew Jackson and there what he did at uh, the Battle of New Orleans. And the fact that you want to tear down the statue of the guy that saved that city, uh, it's unconscionable. And right now I'm doing a lot of work with Frederick Douglass and Lincoln and how their friendship combined to win a war and make America better in every sense of the word. And and if it wasn't for Lincoln's assassination, combined with Douglas and Grant, we would have been a different country today. Uh, But it was a black-white in a time in which uh, racial um, inequality was prevalent more than than common. So it was everywhere. These guys did extraordinary things. They saw the problems with it. But Frederick Douglass was the one who originally read the, uh, the proclamation that officially unveiled that monument, one of the most famous African-Americans in the history of the world. 
Well, yeah, and then to consider the fact of what happened in Boston, you had the uh, monument, the memorial to the 54th Massachusetts Regiment, which was the first organized uh, black unit to serve this country in uniform. Uh, you know, that just shows that people don't understand their history, that we're failing in our system of education, which has become a system of indoctrination. You know, we should be celebrating people like Frederick Douglass, celebrating people like Booker T. Washington. We should be going back and reading our history and understanding the things, the lessons that we can learn, and the mistakes that we can try to stay away from. But instead, this progressive socialist leftism is just seeking to remake the United States of America. And it goes back to what Barack Obama said in 2008. We're five days away from fundamentally transforming America. Uh, It seems to be ready to go. This seems to be shot out of a catapult. Let's create civil unrest. Let's does something horrible happen to Minneapolis. But why are they tearing down New York and Los Angeles? So let's have that at the same time take down our monuments to our past. Uh, It seems to be a concerted effort. It seems way too organized. I hope someone's getting to the bottom of this. Uh, Let's move on if we can, and talk about what's happening, because you're uniquely qualified to answer what's going on in Korea. There's a joint liaison building there for North and South Korea to work out their differences. It was symbolic as well as practical. The North Koreans blew it up. Where is this relationship going? Why now? Well, I think, once again, you have a North Korea that is looking to, you know, create a a sense of relevance uh, to make sure that they can continue to extort whatever aid they can. Uh, Without a doubt, I believe that they're probably suffering very bad from this COVID issue. And so they have to get back into the papers. They have to once again say that we're still around here. We're still relevant. We can still be bad actors. And again, I think that this is one of those things where China is allowing North Korea to do these uh, certain type of acts. So we need to start looking at making sure that we maintain the economic sanctions on North Korea and continue to put the uh, the screws on Kim Jong-il, Kim Jong-un, I'm sorry, as best as we possibly can. But remember, again, that China is the one that, you know, controls North Korea. And really, I don't think the North Korea goes out and does something like that unless the Chinese have given them a blessing. Which is unbelievable because China, it's to their economic advantage to have better relations with South Korea. That makes it impossible. Uh, they also said they might just take over the demilitarized zone. You think, you, should we take that serious? Well, I think that we should always take uh, any threat serious because, you know, China does not want to see a unified Korean peninsula that is friendly to the United States of America. That's the strategic perspective you have to look at. And without a doubt, there are some internal issues within North Korea as far as who is really going to be in charge, who is going to really be in control and in power uh, there. But we have to make sure that, again, we keep the pressure on North Korea and see them for who they are. They are a a militant, radical, Stalinist uh, system of government there. And people are paying the price for it, hundreds of thousands just starving to death. Uh, we're taking yeah. uh, a few, th- we're going to go down to 25,000 troops in Germany. The president said they're not paying for it. Uh, they're not paying their fair share at NATO. 
Oh, why are we leaving all our troops there? We're pulling them out. Many Republicans are pushing back on the president. What about you, Alan West? I think the most important thing we can do is start looking at a strategic repositioning, moving away from what I call the old Europe to the new Europe, better strategic alliances with Poland, uh, with the Ukraine, and with the Baltic states. Uh, they are welcoming to us. They want to provide us the stationing of troops. And I think that that sends a, a clear message to, to Russia as well. I've uh, not been happy with Angela Merkel and some of the cozying up uh, that she's done with Russian President Vladimir Putin to include the uh, pipeline that uh, she's been supporting with, uh, with Putin. So the natural gas pipeline. So I think that we need to look at uh, a strategic repositioning and re, uh, reshaping our relationships there in Europe because Poland, uh, those Eastern European countries, and also the Baltic states, they don't want to fall back under the dark specter of Russia. So Lieutenant Colonel and Alan West with us. Uh, Colonel, I was stunned by this. Last night, well, yesterday afternoon, the NYPD announced uh, Dermot Shea that they will be disbanding and transferring 600 police officers to other jobs who worked in their anti-crime unit who do the bulk of the arresting and investigating in New York City. These 600 officers include detective bureaus and uh, the detective bureaus and other departments in plain clothes, in plain cars, unmarked cars. He says they're moving away from this now. Uh, I don't get it. This has been the the NYPD has been the envy of the world since the 80s. And now we're taking out not only stop and frisk, but we're taking this out. And he says he's doing it willingly. Do you believe that? No, let me tell you what is going on. You see more, you look at Seattle and the mayor that is there. You look at uh, Mayor de Blasio. Even here in Texas with uh, the mayor of Austin, Steve Adler, they are moving away from law and order. They are moving away from the rule of law. They're moving toward a mob rule. And I think that this should be very disconcerting for Americans. The most important thing that we should want to have each and every day in our lives is safety and security. Our Constitution in the preamble talks about domestic tranquility. But what you are looking at is the creating of of chaos, of anarchy, and elevating criminality over the, uh, the safety of American citizens. We've been releasing the bail reform laws that you have up there in New York and New York City. You're releasing criminals back onto the streets, and now you want to undermine the police uh, forces. This doesn't end well, Brian. Let me tell you something. If you are leaving New York now, you better leave. Because the best thing we had was the best law enforcement. Not because we paid them the most, because of the training that they had, the anti-terror forces that they put together, the way they were able to go into these neighborhoods who were the most challenged and provide for the people they were looking to provide for their family. And now you're saying to the 600 best in the business who rose to that level, we're spreading you out and spreading you out throughout the department. And we're going to do more community policing. Do people want to play kickball with cops or do they want the cops to watch their back when they go to work? Well, that's the thing. I, I think that the left tends to believe that, you know, the police officers should, should just – they don't like this this threat. They don't like uh, the fact that you have uh, individuals that are armed. But that's part of making sure that we don't allow crime to overtake our streets. And when you look at the rioting and the, you looked at the looting, you look at the attacks on our police. Think about the fact that you just had several police officers there in New York City – that were poisoned. 
I mean, they put Clorox in a milkshake for these police officers. This is not what we should have happening in the United States of America. Uh, I agree. Uh, crazy time. War in our history, war in law enforcement, and war against a virus uh, as we wait for an election. It's certainly going to polarize the country further. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, always great to talk to you. And, uh, and good luck in your quest. To, uh, to represent the GOP in Texas. When's that vote? That vote will be on the 17th of July, so uh, we were within a month uh, in Houston. In Houston. If people want to support you, where do they go? They go to west4texas.com. West, the number 4, Texas.com. Go get him, Colonel. Thanks so much. Glad you're okay. Yes, sir. Thank you, Brian. God bless. All right, back at you. Back in a moment with your calls, 1-866-408-7669. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here. Welcome. Uh, so it's great to have Colonel Allen West uh, with us, and uh, always appreciate having him on. I'll be able to take a lot of your calls this hour, as uh, we also uh, welcome everything from what's going on with the war in history to what is going on with the coronavirus, how it's ticking up in some states and causing a pause in the opening of those states. It feels so bad. For those in the health club, industry, health club industry in particular, we just had 24-hour fitness going to bankruptcy. Why? Because they don't trust the fitness centers to do what they're supposed to do, and that's act responsibly. Fitness means discipline. Fitness means dedication. If you want to keep your business together, at least give me the opportunity to save my business. Right now, all you do is not give me, give me an opportunity not to have my business, which is, uh, to me, it's unacceptable. Uh, personally, I'm watching all these other things. You know, we had uh, we had Planet Fitness CEO on television. We had the Crunch folks on television. They have uh, 300 plus franchises. They're all hurting. You know, you actually mortgage your house in some cases to buy these businesses. You think they're going to pay off and be positive in your life, and then you find out. Uh, then you find out that uh, you're not going to have an opportunity to be successful. Missy, listening online in West Virginia. Hey, Missy. Hi, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. I'm getting a little bit sick and tired of hearing about how we need police reform. What we need is justice reform. Are you aware that David Dorn is dead because of a failed justice system? Do you know who killed him? Uh, a criminal you know that, that should have been Hill? out and put in prison. Exactly. Do you know that Maurice Hill, the person who did the shooting in Philadelphia, the barricade where he shot five people, was a convicted felon, twice convicted, of weapons charges, his last interaction with police was the commission of a crime with a weapon where he possessed drugs and he got a 12-month probation. I hear you. Uh, but right now, the law and order professionals are taking a beating. We come back, more of your calls. 
Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. These are the plainclothes units that operate our traditional anti-crime. Effective immediately, we will be transitioning those units, roughly 600 people citywide, into a variety of assignments, including detective bureau, neighborhood policing, and other assignments. Why? This is 21st century policing. Intelligence, data, shot spotter, video, DNA, and building prosecutable cases. Really? They're not able to do that before? Unbelievable. This is, uh, I don't really know Dermot Shea. Evidently, he was very upset with the mayor, so I thought that was a good sign. Uh, But evidently, he's not happy with the way they police. So they're taking 600 of the best of the best and dispersing them out. So I guess they're going to be, I'm all for some of the police athletic league, if you can help out in the cop, uh, you know, just do it. If you can create friendships and be a mentor, that's fine. I don't really know if, if that's really what you could be doing in those areas, but I don't think you should take the best unit and just break it up, not replenish it and break it up. It doesn't make much sense to me. one 408 I guess we'll discuss it uh, the best we can uh, because I personally can't make much sense of it because they have... A great police force. They had were, had their hands cuffed, pun intended, to stop the riots. They got them off the horses. They don't let them use their equipment. They're afraid of ca- ca- uh, cracking down on the wrong people. And get this. Everybody's concerned about the way these protesters came out. They were so close. They weren't, couldn't care less about the coronavirus. So they were urged by the governor to get tested. Do you know that when you go to get tested, you're not allowed to ask in New York if you were protesting? How crazy is that? Let's hear more from Dermot Shea. Cut 27. This is a seismic shift in the culture of how the NYPD polices this great city. I would consider this in the realm of closing one of the last chapters of Stop, Question, and Frisk. I think it's time to move forward and change how we police in this city. Uh, We can do it with brains. We can do it with guile. We can move away from brute force. I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't know if I would describe it brute force. And this is his police. This is his uh, unit. He talks of brute force. Lieutenant Randy Sutton, now retired, founder of The Wounded Blue, weighed in this morning on Fox & Friends. Cut 28. I think it's a pathetic display of, of poor leadership. Um, mm. The reality is that this has been a very, very effective unit, especially when it comes down to gun crime. And to disband them, um, you know, here, here's the thing. This is, a, this is a demonstration of how America's police have become America's punching bags. When I say that, I mean that both physically in relation to the physical attacks right. that law enforcement officers are facing literally every single day, but also the political attacks based on this irrational uh, response to, uh, uh, to what's been happening in the law enforcement community. Lorraine is listening in New York. Hey, Lorraine. Hey, 
Hey, Brian, big fan. Um, uh, as a first responder, I have two questions. One is in uh, de Blasio, the stupidest, stupidest mayor ever, in his plans to reconstruct and defund the police. I didn't notice anything in his plan about getting rid of his protection detail. None. Number None. one. Okay. How about his daughter throwing th- How about his yeah. daughter throwing things at cops during protests? Yeah, and, and she's walking around. Right. And number two, as a first responder, in my opinion, I think the next pandemic should be the blue flu and let all these idiots, including the mayor and the governor, see what happens when they need someone. Absolutely. And I think they're quitting in Minneapolis. They're quitting in New York. They're quitting in Chicago. It's just not worth it. Uh, I appreciate you, Larry. Thank you, Debbie. Listen on WDBO. Debbie. Hi, Brian. Thank you for taking the call. Um, I just wanted to um, say last week when President Trump um, had his roundtable with the black uh, leaders of the black community, um, I looked when he was speaking, and, and of course it was on Fox. I watched, though, the, some of the other channels just flipped to him, and nobody was covering it. And I thought, if they were so interested in what is happening, what's trying to be done and talked about to make things better, why would they not even let their viewers see that? And the only thing I can think of is they want to keep them ignorant of what's really happening so they can then pick and choose what they want to talk about. It's unbelievable. Uh, they have so much more credibility when they criticize them if they ever gave them a compliment. Instead... For example, Joe Biden cannot get through an interview without major mess-ups. He can read a prompter, but then the minute he has to do an appearance, he falls apart. They never report that. Do you know what they reported last week? That he he walked slowly down the ramp at West Point as if something's wrong with him. That makes me uh, laugh because you're not going to convince one independent or one undecided to go against Donald Trump because he's not healthier than Joe Biden. But they had to go out of their way to do it. They never mention the, the criminal justice reform that he got done. Because if you do that and then say, well, when it comes to police activity, he hasn't done enough, then people are listening. But all they do is criticize. Let's find out if there's even more to know. More to know. All right, Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball, says there might not be Major League Baseball this season after a breakdown in talks between teams and the union. It's all about money. The owners, every time they play, they lose money because they can't bring fans in. Quote, it's just a disaster for our game. Absolutely no question about it. Players are disgusted with Manfred for him to do that. Uh, The players, fans, have said they would be 100% certain it would be a 2020 season. Now the union head says it does not look like likely. Oh my goodness! Next, quick question for you. Oscars. What? I was going to ask you a baseball question and cut you off. Who do you lay the blame on this? Do you think? Do you lay it more on the union or do you lay it on the ownership? Uh, They they don't care about the game. They just care about each other. They should just be honest and say we're going to lose money. We don't want to lose a hundred worth a hundred games. How about? Let's do 75, but instead they don't. And the players said we're not going to lose any salary. So it's really been a problem. Tony Clark said in a statement, uh, quote, he has decided to go back on his word and is now threatening to cancel the entire season. Next. The Oscars will be delayed till April 2021. Please adjust your schedules. Evidently, they're supposed to happen in the fall. I wasn't going to watch. But in April, they'll do it. 
The problem with this year, there are no new movies. They have been unable to shoot. This is going to really screw up the movie industry for five years. And forget about the stars. They usually have enough money. I'm worried about the grips and the cameramen and the directors and the assistant directors and people working their way up. But I'm worried about so much in so many different areas. Next. AOC has decided to do exactly what Joe Crowley did, the woman, the man that he beat to get that job. And that is not show up for the in-person debate. She says, uh, I'm not going to do that. I'll be violating the phase one and phase two schedule reopenings uh, that my governor put out. So I'm not going to show up, which is why we're committed to virtual debate, she says. And she's happy to do that. I don't believe it because she has already shown up at protests. She didn't seem too concerned then. Next. Cowboys running back Ezekiel uh, Elliott has tested positive for COVID-19. This is going to Ian Rappaport of the NFL. He's really upset uh, because this got out. He's angry because he said, what about the HIPAA rules? They said, we got to be quiet. Uh, when we, We're supposed to keep people's health uh, private or else you could get sued. I guess that doesn't matter. And next, scientists say it's most likely the number of contact, uh, contactable alien civilizations is 36. So if it's up to us and we have the time and we have the minutes, we should be able to contact 36 separate civilizations. For more on this, let's go to civilization uh, correspondent Pete. Pete? He has nothing. Pete, who interrupted me to do a sports story, will not comment on civilizations. So he will not comment uh, on the first time. This, of course, not from from our country. Uh, We have an estimate for the number of intelligent life out there and who are communicatable. Uh, Basically, the quote is, we made the assumption intelligent life would be a form on on other planets like it was on Earth. So anybody within a few billion years' life would automatically form a natural part of evolution Therefore, we have 36 separate civilizations. So, when we come back, I'm going to be joined by Stuart Varney. And Stuart Varney will ask me a series of questions in which I'm overqualified to answer. Some good news before we go to break. And that is retail sales are up uh, 20%. That means the market's up considerably, almost 1,000 points. Why is that? Because you guys and you ladies are buying stuff between May and June. And if you like what we did in May, you're going to love from June to July because my sense is with more and more people out and about and hopefully with a little bit of spending money, they'll continue to do it. Look out, China. This is a Brian Kilmeade show. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Well, welcome back, everybody. I'm not quite with Stuart Varney yet. I'll be with him shortly. We'll do a simulcast. We'll share audiences, and you'll have a chance to see what I'm wearing today if you miss Fox and Friends or if you don't have the Fox Nation app because they stream us constantly. If you ever miss the show entirely, get the podcast on iTunes. Uh, get the podcast uh, also on Spotify. We'll go to BrianKilmeadeShow.com and get that. We're going to talk 
uh, with Stuart a little sports. We're going to build on the baseball thing we were just talking about, and then we'll give an idea of what he thinks Colin Kaepernick will, will do next year. Keep in mind, the uh, problem with Kaepernick is he doesn't want to be a backup. Now he has to. No one's going to build a team around a guy who hasn't played football in three years. Uh, but I'll give you an idea about that. Then I'll come back with your calls at one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. So we'll be able to do that and uh, and get to your calls at the same at the same time. Uh, there's so much to talk about, but let's listen in right now. Just now, uh, yeah, you're, t- you're talking to me right there, Brian. Here you go, lad. It's your last chance. Yeah. Okay, let me just roll a piece of a little soundbite from my editorial on baseball that I run last week and see if you agree with it. Roll tape, please. It could have been so good. Baseball could have made July the 4th its opening day. Ah, but no. Unless there's a last-minute deal, that is, and that's unlikely, they will not play ball until late July or August. I think that is a chronic mistake. Yeah, I'll repeat that. A chronic mistake, Brian, because it looks it, there's a distinct possibility now. The commissioner says we may not have a game this year. The owners don't love it without fans. They're going to lose money. Uh, the deal was the players going to come in and have prorated salaries there, especially for the for the higher end. They were not going to get close to what they were maxed out at. The lower end players were going to do better. It was my own negotiating. I really don't get into the whole CBA talk. I don't think sports fans really care about prorated this and that. They just want to see baseball. And this would be made-for-television events. But the made-for-television events don't cause profit for the owners. It cause costs. So they wanted less games. Players wanted more games and more salary. Yesterday, the commissioner came out and said, we might not have baseball this year. It will be worse than 1994 when they canceled the World Series. Because we're going to forget even who's outside the Nationals who had won the World Series. Yankee and Met fans who felt, you know, who really get into it. And the Cardinal fans and Cubs, I should say, there's a lot of people just going to say, forget this game. They already yeah. lost the younger yeah. generation. This, this could be a death nail. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. It's shooting yourself in the foot. It's a major league sport shooting itself in the foot for no good reason here. No good reason. There might not be a game for, another, for two years total. Anyway, you know what I think and I know what you think. Let's move on. NFL Commissioner Goodell, he's pushing teams to sign uh, Colin Kaepernick after years of not playing. He seems like he's, it's a change of heart. Why? Uh, because the Black Lives Matter is now the most popular organization in the country. And that's why he was taking a knee. Although Kaepernick, I think, stumbled in, pun intended, into this whole protest. He couldn't even say what was wrong with the country. Then he ended up selling on law enforcement. He wore those socks that had pigs on them. He also wore a Shea Guevara uh, T-shirt, which upset the whole, in, in Miami, which upset the whole state who obviously has negative things to say about Fidel Castro's co-conspirator. But what you have in Kaepernick is now you have coaches saying we should have signed him. You have the commissioner saying we should have signed him. But I'm not sure he wants to play. Remember, he had that tryout. He had 28 scouts there to see him in the middle of a season. Instead, he said, I don't like this release. And he went to a high school field where about four guys showed up and no one ended up signing him. The problem with Kaepernick, he doesn't want to be a backup. And after but, three years, I don't know what's left. No one will give that. No one will make him a starter now. So but, unless uh, he's going to do what Jameis Winston did or, or Teddy Bridgewater, I don't see it. But wait a second, wait a second. The league may well be worried about collusion. I mean, it's quite possible that Kaepernick could launch a lawsuit saying, hey, you guys colluded to keep me out. And that's wrong and it's illegal. And I want money. They've they got to be worried about that. 
He sued already, got a few million bucks. It's not nearly what he made, would have made as a player. They settled out of court. Nike's given him a ton of money. Now he's got speaking gigs, and he doesn't have to get tackled. Plus, if he goes out on the field and is terrible, it'll back up all those critics who say uh, the NFL would sign anybody, including OJ in his, uh, in his, it's OJ had years left after he was acquitted. I'm telling you right now, if Kaepernick could play, he would have found a team. But he couldn't start on a terrible 49er team. And then he became uh, obstinate in the clubhouse. They don't want to pay a lot of money for a, for a clubhouse distraction. Now they would welcome that distraction because now the whole league basically has committed to kneeling during the national anthem. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of trouble in the world, isn't there? And I see it in your face every morning when I tune into Fox and Friends at 6 o'clock. You are not happy with what's happening in this country right now. I can tell. Last 10 you, seconds to you, Do you Brian. know anyone is? I no, agree. No, between the uh, war on history, the uh, civil unrest, and the pandemic, and the election, yeah. uh, this is an intensity we have never seen in our lifetime. You got that right. Brian Kilmeade, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we'll see you again real soon, promise. Thanks very much. Go get him. Uh, okay, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. 408 Let's just take a few phone calls right here. Uh, Stuart Varney talking a little sports. Gary, listen to the Fox News Radio app in Oklahoma City. Gary. Yeah, Brian, you know anyone who does not kneel during the national anthem is going to be vilified as a racist. This is a way to ma- manipulate yep. the situation, force them to kneel. I say push to cancel the national anthem and the presentation of flag. Do not even give these players an opportunity to disrespect the flag and the country. It's equivalent to burning the flag at the 50-yard line. And all this protesting, we've heard your not, your message. Enough. Everybody is looking into it. Mayors, the president, Congress, police commissioners, police cap. everybody's doing something about this. But they just keep on kneeling. They just keep on protesting, vandalizing all these businesses. And if these guys want to kneel, why don't they get off, uh, get up off their knees and go talk to a mayor? Go talk to some police officers uh, and whatever. But uh, I think they should cancel the uh, the uh, national anthem and the presentation of the flag. Do not give these guys an opportunity to disrespect it. Uh, I would say, Gary, this is what I would do. Leave him in the locker room. Let's get the national anthem for the fans, but then the fans will be kneeling. Uh, but play it out there. You can roll it out and take the pressure off the players. They might feel the pressure that Drew Brees felt, one of the great guys you'll ever meet, but saw the whole world come down on him and said, I don't want my family going through that. Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeade.com and order Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, for Father's Day. I think you'll love it. News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hey, thanks so much for listening, everyone. We are ready for this hour of uh, the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'll be joined by Harry Hulk, a longtime, uh, longtime police officer who wants to comment on policing in America, but especially the NYPD, with the dramatic change in policing, getting rid of 600 members of the anti-crime plainclothes unit in New York City. 
to be less physical, to be more community-oriented. Unbelievable. I found it stunning. I feel it's politics. But the one who made the announcement, the police commissioner. Get Harry's take on that. And we'll also talk to Chris Starwell at the bottom of the hour while taking your calls at one 408 In less than an hour, the President of the United States will be signing police uh, justice reform, some executive orders. Uh, I'll go over some of that, give you the rough outline of what he'll be saying. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Many of these monuments could do better, perhaps in a in a museum or in educational facilities, but that's not going to solve the problems that we see in our streets or in our issues regarding police brutality. Uh, that is the hmm. Uh, would yeah, well, that is police brutality. Uh, that is George P. Bush. The war on history is reaching new heights, which means new lows. Now they're targeting Washington, Jackson, Jefferson. And even Lincoln. Gotta stop. Number two. We need great people in our police departments, and we have mostly great people. But we, uh, we will do better, even better. And we're going to try and do it fast. Uh, law enforcement reform. Set to roll out from the White House today. We're going to go city by city and see how they're responding and what the NYPD is doing. Number one. This argument that has been out there that somehow a person's right to protest somehow outweighs, uh, for instance, a person's right to reopen their business. Let's just have one objective standard, right? Wouldn't that be great? Kimberly Strassel of The Wall Street Journal, COVID-19, still causing unrest in markets and in politics from the president's uh, Tulsa rally on Saturday to the increase in cases to the strangely slow pace in some states of the reopening. Never has a pandemic caused so much unrest, death and politics, uh, political unrest. Uh, We'll talk about all that. So here's what the president's proposing. Now, it's not the most radical reform. There's radical reform, but this isn't it. The president uh, has gotten the blessing of the Fraternal Order of Police to do these predominantly four things. Create credentialed and certified incentives to spur departments to adopt the most modern use of force practices. That's got to be education, and that's got to be federal sharing. Encourage police departments to track offenders among their ranks and share that information in case an officer moves to a different department. So you got a problem, don't just transfer him or her out. Deal with that problem and understand you got to deal with your superiors you're not crossing any thin blue line. Improve officer retention and recruitment practices, okay, including encouraging departments to recruit from within the communities they'll patrol. That'll be nice. This is a tough one. It's the most aspirational. Prioritize co-respondent services, pairing police officers with social workers who may be better equipped to handle people who have substance abuse problems, mental health issues, or homelessness. Good luck. Hop in the car, Mrs. Jo- Dr. Johnson or Mrs. Johnson. We have to go to South Central where there's some unrest and there might be some illegal drugs. It'll be fun and much better than being in the office for $22,000 a year. Wouldn't you rather put your life on the line with no law enforcement capability? That is stunning. Now, I woke up to this news. The accusation that Shake Shack employees poisoned three cops, put bleach in their shakes. They said it was just coincidental. I'll go with the police say, but that was disturbing. Now, the most disturbing news. They're making steps toward defunding the police. The NYPD is disbanding its anti-crime unit, transferring 600 police officers to other jobs. So, those in plain clothes, 
doing the hard work, unwinding crime before it happens, are out. Here's the answer and how it's being responded to by the PBA president, Patrick Lynch. Quote, anti-crime's mission was to protect New Yorkers by proactively preventing crime and especially gun violence. Shooting, uh, shooting and murders are both climbing steadily upward, but our city leaders have clearly decided that proactive policing isn't a priority anymore. Unbelievable what's taken place. I find it hard to believe from the experts I've spoken to that this is going to benefit anybody, uh, especially law-abiding citizens. And that's really the issue. How many people will benefit from this scaling back and being a more understanding police force with criminals. I'm not talking about anybody else. I'm talking about with criminals. So, in terms of this in particular, here's Lieutenant Randy Sutton on Fox & Friends First this morning. Cut 28. I think it's a pathetic display of, of poor leadership. Um, mm. The reality is that this has been a very, very effective unit, especially when it comes down to gun crime and to disband them um, you know, here, here's the thing. This is, a, this is a demonstration of how America's police have become America's punching bags. When I say that, I mean that both physically in relation to the physical attacks right. that law enforcement officers are facing literally every single day, but also the political attacks based on this irrational uh, response to, uh, uh, to what's been happening in the law enforcement community. And that's transferred to America has always been bad, hence the war on history. The war on taking down Confederate uh, soldiers, which is transferred to Lincoln, Washington, Jefferson, Jackson, and the unknown soldier from this horrible war called the American Revolution. If we don't win that war, nobody's here around to protest that war. But the war on history continues. At the same time, we got the war on cops. So that, to me, is not a good healthy dose a balance. Here is Senator Josh Hawley on the madness. Cut 39. This is just about dividing us and distracting us. That's what this is. I mean, we can have a conversation about how to name bases in this country. To do that, you would actually talk to the people who live at the bases. You would talk to the veterans right. who have served at those bases. You would talk to the local community. You would involve all of the stakeholders. That's not what the Democrats want to do. That's not what Elizabeth Warren wants to do. She wants to mandate all of this behind closed doors without open debate or discussion. And the reason is they're trying to divide and whip up a culture war to distract from their failed policies, their globalist failed policies that have hollowed out our inner cities and also hollowed out our small towns for that matter, left people without jobs, without a stake, without an ability to have a say any longer. They have no answer to that and they want to talk about anything but their actual record. Right. Uh, and this is crazy. Because now we have autonomous zones in Seattle they want us to cede. We have a war on history taking away our past. we got the war on law enforcement that has caused unrest in about 700 separate cities. Call Roveway in and say, listen, all you people want the Confederate statues down, you want Lincoln down, Washington, you're an impossible standard to keep up to. Cut 37. If we have to judge everybody by saying you have to agree with all of our modern standards, think about Mahatma Gandhi, who is an exemplar of nonviolence. And yet during the years that he spent in South Africa, he made very offensive remarks about black Africans. Should we now dis disavow everything that he did in his life because he held racist views? I guess the answer is yes. The big it really started for me with Columbus. Now, Columbus is the, baddest, is the worst guy ever. 
He's an explorer that laced together uh, three ships, put together a crew on the hunch that there was something over the horizon that could change the world. He couldn't convince his government, but he can convince the Spanish government. And he did it. Doug Weed weighed in on the attack on Columbus because he didn't treat the Native Americans with respect once he got here. Cut 34. Columbus changed the world. Uh, imagine Italy without tomatoes. I, he brought the wheel to the Western Hemisphere. They didn't have it. Horses. <laughs> they had never seen them before. So it was like uh, landing man on the moon. And most of these explorers, it was only about bringing gold back to the king. But Columbus brought marigolds that started appearing in people's gardens within a year or two of his return. So it was world-changing, and it's pretty hard to ignore it. Leave it up. Discussed that he was a horrible uh, and tone-deaf leader and was sent back because of his actions as leader in the Bahamas, the Caribbean, where he landed. Never got to the United States, but he changed the world. Understand that? That's why it's Columbia. That's why it's District of Columbia. That's why it's Columbia University. That's why it's Columbus Day. We weren't all horrible people until you were born. Understand that. Doug Weed, on the other controversial figure, Robert E. Lee, who was a bust of which was kept on uh, in the Oval Office when this guy named Dwight Eisenhower was there. Cut 33. Robert E. Lee, for example, was celebrated. His statues proliferated all over the South precisely because he was a moderate, because his wife taught uh, slave children how to read and helped smuggle them out to freedom to Liberia. So he was a moderating force at the end of the Civil War. It's a little bit sad uh, to see people hypocritically uh, jump on uh, these figures and become the guardians against racism. I mean, uh, and especially the Democrat Party with Byrd. I mean, they're not taking his name off any. He was, in my opinion, a racist. Yeah, uh, that is uh, Dugweed weighing in. So keep in mind, nobody was perfect, uh, but there were people of their times there to be studied, not to be judged. Where do you stand on that? One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. On policing, the reforms, 45 minutes, the president makes it official. Next, Harry Hoax joins us, and he talks about what the NYPD revamp will look like for you. It's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. This is a seismic shift in the culture of how the NYPD polices this great city. I would consider this in the realm of closing one of the last chapters of Stop, Question, and Frisk. I think it's time to move forward and change how we police in this city. Uh, We can do it with brains. We can do it with guile. We can move away from brute force. Brute force. I never looked at it like that. I always thought that was the anti-police phrase. Uh, that is Dermot Shea. I don't know where that came from. I thought at first this was a political philosophy and he had to implement it, but it looked like it was his ideas. Uh, Henry Houck joins us now, retired NYPD detective, 
Uh, Harry, I got to get your take. What is your take on the no longer use of brute force? Is that how you describe it? That's insanity. The brute force is being used by perpetrators when they get arrested. That's the brute force. All the police officers are trying to do is to get them in custody and uh, get a set of handcuffs on them. You know, you know, you know, we look back at all these situations here that we've been talking about for the last, let's say, 10, 15 years, you know, where incidents, you know, where police officers have to kill somebody unarmed happens all the time. But the one thing the one thing that we don't hear about is the resisting arrest. You know, all these have escalated from resisting arrest, whether the police officer was a, uh, was justified in shooting or not. That's one thing. Right? But these all come from resisting arrest. And the thing is that resisting arrest really isn't a crime anymore. I remember when I was still on, on patrol back in the old days that the first thing that, that we would do when we saw the prosecutor was that uh, resisting arrest was the first crime that they dropped all the time. 600 plainclothes NYPD officers are now told they're going to be dispersed through other units. What did the Mm anti-crime unit do? The anti-crime unit was a plainclothes unit that goes out there in taxi cabs, all different kinds of cars, all different kinds of trucks. And their main job is to catch a crime in progress. They do it all the time. Now, when I'm on patrol in uniform, every once in a while I would... I would, uh, you know, ride up on a crime in progress, but it's very rare. These guys, they do it all the time because the bad guys don't know where they are. They'll look around, say, no police cars, let me commit a crime. Not knowing there's an anti-crime unit uh, in plain clothes across the street, catching them committing the crime as it occurs. So you've got your perpetrator who's out there doing armed robberies. You catch him now, not 10, 15, 20 robberies down the road when an investigation is conducted. And they take them off the street right away, and they recover guns most of the time. What role did they play in the reduction in crime in New York City? Big time. Big time. You know, uh, like I said, you know, the bad guys, they not only have to look out for the cops in uniform, they have to look out for, you know, God, in their mind, God forbid there's a... Uh, an anti-crime unit around. So they have to worry about that. So that actually does bring the crime down. You know, just the thought of them being out there. When you have, when you have the bad guys out there thinking that they don't have to worry about them anymore, all they got to do is look around. Okay, I don't see anybody in blue, so let's do it. And they do it, and they take advantage of that, and you're going to see the crime rate rise. I can't believe this police commissioner is actually doing away with an anti-crime unit. And the first thing I thought in my mind was, whose idea was this? Was this Bill de Blasio's idea? Or was it a police commissioner's idea? And if it was a police commissioner's idea to do away with the anti-crime units like this, I think it's a farce. I think the man should resign. And I think we need a new police commissioner. But you also have to remember that you've got to deal with Bill de Blasio. And you have to do what Bill de Blasio says because you're not really the police commissioner in New York. De Blasio is when you're doing it under a Democrat. And I'm sick and tired of this war on the police that's been perpetrated by Democrats consistently and taking police officers, uh, you know, um, uh, ability to be able to fight crime away. Every time I turn around, the Democrats are trying to take away some tool the police use to reduce crime. Here's more from Dermot Shea. Cut, Cut 26. These are the plainclothes units that operate our traditional anti-crime. Effective immediately, we will be transitioning those units, roughly 600 people citywide, 
into a variety of assignments, including detective bureau, neighborhood policing, and other assignments. Why? This is 21st century policing. Intelligence, data, shot spotter, video, DNA, and building prosecutable cases. Do you feel better? Do I feel better? <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it's good. listen, some of the things he's talking about are good, okay? Uh, some of the things that we need. Listen, I'm for all tra- for, for training for police officers. The fact is that, you know, let's say they want to get rid of this chokehold, right, this neck hold. Um, well, you tell me as a police officer, and, and, and Brian, I've made hundreds of arrests. You know, when anybody tried to resist arrest me, I put the chokehold on him and I brought him right down. And you know what? I never killed anybody. And the chokehold is used by police officers all over the country because it's the only way you can control a big guy that does not want to be arrested. Now, people can watch these stupid TV shows where one guy takes somebody down and handcuffs them. Listen, that's not the reality. I'm six foot four, 225 pounds, and I was in great shape when I was a young police officer. And many times it took four or five of us to take somebody down, especially somebody who's six foot five, 300 pounds. So if you want to replace that, Mr. Commissioner or Mr. Politicians, you, you give me another way to take a perk down, all right, that's going to actually work. And there isn't enough training for fighting for police officers anyway. I mean, you learn something in the academy, and after that, that's it. So you go back to your regular street fighting again when you're out there on the street fighting a thug. So I think what should be done is there should be a lot of money, and I mean a lot of money, going to the police departments to teach the police officers Brazilian jiu-jitsu. That's something that I do. I do MMA training and fighting, and uh, that yep. would be perfect. But the whole but the whole thing would be that, you know, you need to be, spend a lot of time on these techniques. Absolutely. Let's bring the Gracies over here. I'll pay for it. Uh, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Henry Howe, appreciate it. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to to your your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. The polling obviously doesn't look good. It doesn't look good nationally. It doesn't look good in the key swing states. And they've seen a fairly significant drop-off in support among independents. They've got the widest gender gap uh, with Joe Biden that we've seen, I think, since the advent of polling. It's about 25 percentage points the last time I checked. And they've seen these numbers move substantially as as a correlation to President Trump's handling of these protests. Now, He does have a very solid base and he does have the economy. When you go into these polls, voters still by double digits uh, favor Donald Trump over Joe Biden, over who is best to handle the economy. So their comeback strategy is going to be squarely focused around the economy, squarely focused around a visual contrast with Joe Biden and President Trump being the candidate to reopen the country. Wow, uh, that is uh, a problem. But I think that the tr- the Trump people think if they can get back on the road, get back out there in front of the people, turn the economy around, it'll be a different story. Chris Sirewell does his numbers, does election analysis for a living. He also can work in restaurants. Should that happen? He's also very handy. Should you have any things around the house that needs to be fixed? Chris Sirewell, welcome back. 
but I can't do it in a charming and cheerful Australian accent. And for that reason, that's what it's like Swan for me to react to. That's fine. It's just well, my, it's saying, is that my re- life's calling. It's just my vocation, Brian. That's fine. And I wouldn't, and I, you mean a guy in Australia who probably studied uh, in Australia, Chris Starwell, and has a chance to come here. I should never bump in with another, another analyst. That's, that you know what, what I'm going to do? I'm going to move to Australia and eat Jonathan Swan's lunch. I'll go down there with an American accent. <laughs> ah. We'll say, I don't know, this guy, I, you know, it's, there's something about it. I'm not sure. Well, we'll see. So I, I asked the <laughs> vice president today. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, I asked the vice president today, uh, do you feel like, you know, you're trailing in double digits in almost every national poll, including Rasmussen. Do you feel like you're trailing? And I never got an answer. Should he well, feel like he's trailing? Do you say. think the Trump team knows they are? Yeah, of course what? they know they are. But you're not supposed to say it. This is, look, this is why we don't listen I mean, we listen to campaigns, but we don't listen, listen to campaigns. Because what's Mike Pence supposed to say? Yeah, it's looking pretty bad, Brian. I don't know. Feel, you know, I'm not a drinking no. man. No, I love the underdog. I love the underdog right. role. And I think the Trump fan, the Trump supporters do, too. I love personally, hey, listen, he's the front runner. He hasn't had a chance to do anything sitting in his basement. I'm out here making all the decisions. Of course I'm going to pay the price in the polls. That's what I, the tact he thought he would take because it's so... You know, there's so many polls that say the same thing. Look, there, it, it's, there's no dispute among that I've heard that Trump is trailing. And he's not just trailing nationally. He's trailing in battleground states. He's not just trailing, but he's doing, he is appreciably and demonstrably worse off uh, in relation to his opponent than he was four years ago. Right. Uh, Joe Biden is running better than Hillary Clinton did by a pretty substantial margin. He is a tougher candidate for Trump in a big way. And the issue set has been very problematic for Trump. He has been, if you think about it this way, for the first three years of his administration, he was he he held serve, right? He got to choose the issue sets in a big way. We're going to talk about North Korea now. We're going to talk about moving the embassy to Jerusalem. We're going to talk about tax cuts. We're going to talk about uh, trade. We're going to yep. talk about these things. And as the economy is growing and we're at peace, people feel like, yeah, okay, we do this stuff. So now, instead of controlling events, he's being controlled by events. And it's very frust- It's obviously very frustrating for him. Every president finds this at some point or another. You don't want to find it in an election year, but that's where Trump finds himself, is that he's being controlled by events, and he wants to and needs to take control of the situation. No question. Because he didn't invent uh, problems with law enforcement. Point to Ferguson, point to Baltimore. We know it just happened with the previous administration. You could say that, well, Donald Trump set the groundwork. Well, that means Barack Obama set the groundwork for it. So, I mean, you can say that, well, he has the wrong tone. Well, that doesn't matter. This was happening anyway. It's how he responds. The pandemic, well, yeah, there was a bowl and other things, but I think people are going to come back in, in future generations and say this probably could not have been stopped in a country this size with this much travel uh, much differently. But I think we're over how, what we, how it started, and now it's how you handle it. And I think numbers today make it intriguing, really, uh, uh, retail sales. The market responds, yeah. almost goes up almost 1,000 points. 2.5 million jobs. The market responds. People look around and go, well, I am getting some opportunity. And then if he goes out with these rallies, some of these independents and undecideds 
who are stuck watching other channels or reading other publications will say, you know, maybe there is another side to this. Well, as as uh, Vice President Pence pointed out uh, on Fox and Friends this morning, uh, the rallies are a fraught question, and this ain't easy. And I don't know who decided that they were going to have an indoor rally in the first place. Uh, These jamokes who uh, uh, in professional baseball have left their stadiums empty, I don't know why they're not outside. I don't know why they're not socially distant outside. I don't know why they're not doing it in a way that would be both celebratory but also demonstrate that he – because this is one of the big problems he has. Older voters who tend to vote more Republican have soured on the president, I think in part because they sense a cavalierness in his attitude about coronavirus when they are the, when they are the most at risk. So, like, the, ra- the rally is a great point. Trump wants to get back out there, but it's not about him, right? It's not about him. He has to figure out a way to do these and do this rally uh, and these things in such a way as to reaffirm that he is a good leader, he is a competent, qualified, capable person. Yeah, I'm very interested in the content, too. And what's he going to do about race relations? Because I think ignoring it uh, and saying we had great unemployment is not enough. And I, I think he's got enough people around him that I think will say that. So I'm very curious to see if there'll be things proactive. You know, he is getting ahead of the curve by announcing his plan first. He's going to have Republicans and Tim Scott say something else. And he's going to be two thirds away there with Democrats yet to announce their plan. And then maybe Democrats come out and and maybe there's some type of agreement. Do you think they'll get something done by July 4th, Chris? Well, you know, it's interesting. Neither side can afford to look like they're walking away from the table. Uh, And it's going to really fall on Scott because Trump's going to roll out some carrots and it doesn't sound like very many sticks. Uh, These will be federal rewards for instituting best practices, but there's not going to be much sanction or it's not going to be the tough stuff uh, like the House has. So then Scott and the Senate Republicans are are shadow boxing, right? They're, they're putting together legislation, but they're doing it with an awareness of the House bill and of what the president's going to do. They've got to try to split the difference and come up with something that can pass. If either side here is seen as walking away from this, if something, even if it's small, right, can pass, it hurts them. But we, as we have seen many times with legislation like this in the past, as soon as one side determines that they can get away with accusing the other of bad faith and walking away from the table, they do it and nothing happens. And that would be that would be not just politically bad for the president and for Republicans, probably, but it's also another demonstration that Congress just can't work. And nobody likes that. So we're watching uh, what's going on in Minneapolis and about 700 cities, Minneapolis, New York, uh, Portland, and in particular, Seattle, where the president's got a situation where maybe he's got challenges. I think Democrats have a real challenge with the fun police and with this whole uh, and this whole no go zone. And this is a Democratic city. You can't blame Donald Trump. It's a Democratic governor. You can't blame Donald Trump. You get not even a pandemic response. This is a response to law enforcement where a police precinct was abandoned because politicians told them to and they can't get back in. I think the longer those seven blocks exist in Seattle, the longer Donald Trump will have an opportunity to say, this is what you're going to get 
with the Democrats in charge in Washington. You'll get it in all 50 states. You know, yeah, but I, I sort of think that these uh, goofballs in Seattle uh, are sort of like, remember Clive and Bundy, and you remember the showdown over federal lands in the West, and one time they took over like a wildlife station or something? Sure, I sure, think I remember. I think pretty kooky, pretty fringy, pretty niche I don't think it penetrates into mainstream thinking that much. I think that the, that the, the tougher test is not about autonomous zones in the Pacific Northwest. I think the tougher test is, can Joe Biden keep the kind of support among African-American voters that he has? And if, in fact, the, the buzz phrase, which some of its proponents say doesn't mean what it says it means, right? It's sort of like Medicare for all. Uh, it depends on what day you asked Elizabeth Warren, you would get a different answer about what that phrase meant. So it's a, it's a phrase without any real meaning. It depends on who you ask. If Joe Biden gets uh, hoisted up on this defund the police business, that's really dangerous for him. If saying those words becomes a litmus test and he gets bullied into doing it uh, for fear of losing African-American support, uh, he could be in a real jam here because he's already trying to have it both ways, right? He's trying to say, I stand with the protesters and I support you and I love you, but he can't do that and say that he's also a friend of the police officer on the line of duty. Eli Omar, AOC, both believe defund the police is the way to go. Number three, Black Lives Matter feels it's the way to go. If he's going to keep them close in order to get the young vote and the, and the left-wing Bernie Sanders votes, too, along the way, he's got to do something that will, that will bring them in, and that'll be the opening for a very street-smart Donald Trump to say, look at this. Look at this mess. And if there's another uh, autonomous zone... Then, which, by the way, there was almost four or five, but the police quickly stopped it in Portland and other places in Nashville. I think the president's got something. I think, I think Bad for the country, the, it's good for him. But one of the advantages of being 10 points ahead uh, for Biden is he doesn't need his base in the way Trump needs his base. Trump is totally dependent on his base. He's got to have everybody who voted, like he needs them all, uh, down to the rivets. For Biden... The question is, can he placate? Sure, he's going to lose some radical radicals, right? He's not going to get. He was never going to get the votes in the in the uh, Capitol Hill autonomous zone anyway. Not like they vote, but he wasn't going to get those votes anyway. He can lose some Ilyan Omar kind of folks, and that's fine, uh, as long as he is protecting his core, which is older African American voters. As long as he is protecting his numbers with suburbanites, so he can give a little on the side of siding with police and good law enforcement and better training and better funding. The question is, does their message, right now it's a niche message, the danger for Biden is that what Omar and others are saying goes more mainstream and Biden gets more pressure. Absolutely, and I think it is, because if I'm looking at these protests, it's getting more mainstream. It's almost a daily thing. Yesterday the violence was Portland. I don't know where it's going to be tomorrow. I don't know where it's going to be tonight. Uh, and not many people think Donald Trump is, is, is in support of this, where people are pretty convinced that Joe Biden is. I'm not saying he's pro-violence, but he's pro-protest. He's getting he's doing so much better than Trump on the race relations question. Uh, Trump would need to roll. Uh, he'd need to roll sevens all the way home. Like he, he would need to hit the point. And that he needs to. The biggest thing and Trump has done this. 
uh, is that he changed his tone last week, right? He didn't go back against Millie when Millie rebuked him about the uh, Lafayette Plaza uh, march. He didn't. He he is not being as belligerent. He is not being as confrontational about this stuff. And he, if you listen to the West Point speech, which I know you did, he had a message about important institutions and America and very, all of that stuff. Always with Trump, the question is message discipline, right? He is peripatetic. He flits from this to this to this and depends on the day, the mood that he has about it. His number one strength, the thing that Donald Trump will win or lose on, is the health of the American economy. If he gets sucked over into some uh, hidey hole arguing about the Seattle autonomous zone, then he is then he's losing because the place where he can win is by convincing Americans that he can be the architect economic recovery that it's already working and that his leadership on that count has been good and will help the country improve. Otherwise, he's done. Uh, going to be interesting. Uh, I see the gap closing. I'm very curious to see how Saturday goes. Regardless, if one person gets the coronavirus, Anderson Cooper will have to do five shows on Sunday uh, to talk about the tragedy that Donald Trump perpetrated on the country. <laughs> oh, poor Anderson Cooper. It's tough out there, Ben. Not tough being Chris Starwalt. Chris, where do we get your podcast? Uh, you should go to probably, uh, you can go to Pandora, you can go to uh, You can go to uh, Spotify, you can go to uh, your uh, iTunes pod or your Apple podcast, wherever you want. If you find it laying around on the street, just listen to it. It's fine. It's it just dust it off a little bit. You'll be fine. Chris Dyerwald, uh, be yourself today. Uh, uh, well, or, or something better. <laughs> <laughs> be the best version of yourself. Chris, thanks so much. Appreciate go. it. Yeah, man. One eight six six. You got it. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everybody. I'm going to try to squeeze in as many calls as possible. Uh, Michael's listening in Georgia. Michael, you're fed up with the NFL. Uh, no, Brian. Uh, I, the NFL is dead to me. Um, and ever since the crapper Nick stuff started, uh, it's all college for me all the time, baby. Not no NFL. Hey, but, I have uh, news for quick, you. They'll be kneeling too. Uh, real quick, I wanted to give you a big thank you. Uh, never watched morning shows. Never had any interest. Years ago when I saw Fox and Friends for the first time and listened to some of the things that you say between segments and when you toss to the other host, your segues had me rolling in the floor. I said, this guy is so funny. So thank you for getting me hooked on Fox and Friends because that's my major source of news every day. So thank you so much. Go get him. Uh, thanks so much, Michael. Uh, do I have time for another call? Uh, Terry, listen to WSKY in Gainesville, Florida. Terry. There's all this talk about reform on law enforcement when the true reform should be on the media. The media is more powerful than the people know. It controls what people, which in turn, I mean, it controls how the people think, so it basically controls their emotions. I feel that if the media had covered George Floyd a little bit differently, uh, that the results would have been differently. I mean, perfect example is the death no, of No, I don't think Tempo. so. Not, that's the only... That's the only thing I don't think the media had anything to do with. Uh, we just watched that. I mean, we, the people there alive 
were just as outraged as you were at home. I think other things are blown out of proportion. The fact is all the media doing now is basically rooting for the coronavirus to destroy the Trump presidency. I just think that's the latest example of total irresponsibility. I, I, I disagree. I just feel that they're focusing right. on race when it wasn't about race. Uh, well, thanks so much. Appreciate the call. Terry, I understand it. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't think it was about race, but it was symbolic of what they feel is excessive force in the black community. So I'm not sure how Derek Chauvin would have stood up on cross-examination if race was available. But the symbolism was that said so much, uh, even though he was hardly the perfect person, uh, he did not deserve to die that way at all. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for listening. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.